last of the fourth month coming up this coming Friday on the 24th, Friday the 24th, this coming Friday. I'll briefly describe what this one is about. We know that Zechariah mentions four fasts and it being a prophetic end time book, they certainly apply to us. The rabbis have looked into history on these four fast days that are mentioned, and they've come up with not only the main event that occurred on these days, but some additional ones as well that were significant times. I don't know that they have every date absolutely correct, uh, and that might be hard to prove, but at least according to their research and their knowledge, Uh, There are several events that occurred on the fast of the fourth month. Uh, It says, Not less than four incidents are connected with the fasts of the fourth month, the 17th of Tammuz, which is this year, July 24th. On this day, the Israelites made the golden calf. (laughs) That's interesting. Uh, some, Some pretty bad things happened on this day, if that is a correct assessment of the time. Uh, Moses broke the tables of the law, so as he came down and saw the golden calf, he dropped the tables on the ground. Having God's law dropped is certainly a very significant factor. Uh, God was patient and reissued, and uh, we still have them today. The third thing is that the daily sacrifices apparently ceased for one of cattle when the city was closely besieged prior to the destruction of Jerusalem. Well, Nebuchadnezzar had besieged it, uh, and that is the fast of the tenth month, which usually falls around the first part of January. So during that siege, things got very, very difficult, and uh, Jerusalem was coming apart. And then it was destroyed. So the main event then, the fourth thing listed here, is on this day Jerusalem was stormed by Nebuchadnezzar. So it fell. Now, that's ancient history, uh, maintained not by the rest of Israel really, but by the Jews themselves. Uh, But certainly it pertained to all Israel. And I think that the modern day... uh, fulfillment of that and understanding of that, of course, is that we had a siege on the church and many people gave up. They quit their daily sacrifice of prayers and the incense that goes up to God through those prayers. And then the church came apart at the seams and was, uh, in one analogy, vomited out. And others that are in the Bible, it was scattered and so on. So, what happened to Jerusalem there when it was taken captive uh, certainly happened to the church. And at that time, Nebuchadnezzar took a large percentage of the Jews back to Babylon with him. Others were left behind. So, when the Tekachas, the Assyrian of the spiritual Israel of today... Uh, took many people back into Babylon with him and the pagan religion, the evangelical Christianity, pagan as it is. Some were left behind and some are still struggling to obey God 
such as us, even in these trying and difficult times. So the modern-day parallel with what happened to physical Jerusalem back then and to Israel and Judah as a whole has many, many parallels with what we see happening today, not only in the church, but now we see the storm clouds gathering very rapidly uh, for our nation, a physical Israel around us, <clears throat> or at least the nation of Ephraim. But the same storm clouds are gathering in the United Kingdom, essentially Manasseh, and the other nations of Israel, wherever they may be. And most of that being, of course, in North uh, West Europe. So we are in very trying times in terms of the church, and now we are in very trying times beginning in terms of our physical nations of Israel. So that dual application is being applied again as well. So do these fasts that Jeremiah, I mean, Jeremiah, Zechariah said we should keep have abundant meaning today? I think that should become very clear that that is the case. So we are very much in line with God's Word and with the prophecy if we keep these fasts for the very reasons that the Jews give uh, from history and what we see happening before our very eyes today. It is a time for fasting and prayer because not only has it been very difficult to survive in the church over the last quarter century, now it is fast becoming very difficult to survive in our own nation, where freedoms are being taken away very, very rapidly. I read a blurb just, I think, yesterday that said that you're in America today, you are 58 times more likely to be killed by a policeman than a terrorist. Just a statistic. So here we are. And we have the preparations for the takedown of this country being prepared in front of our noses. I think Jade Helm 15 is a very, very good signal of that. Nothing may much happen for a while, but it gives them an excuse to move equipment and men and foreign soldiers, as well as U.S. soldiers, all over this country. And they build it as just a drill. So, but if you're going to have a drill, you've got to get all this stuff in place. And that's exactly what they're doing. Now, at some point, uh, it will probably turn from just a drill, once everything is in place, to something far more dramatic than that. Uh, it may not be the Jade Helm thing that's scheduled to end September 15th, but it'll be certainly a, a conjoined twin uh, that will rise up shortly thereafter. Uh, it can't be too far away, I don't think, with them moving all these assets into place. Uh, they're not moving them there just for their health's sake or your health's sake either. So we need to keep an eye on things that are happening in the world uh, and in our own nation very carefully right now. <clears throat> I have gone through two sermons now in a series about... Uh, are approaching the calendar and how the heavenly calendar works. We've discussed some history in terms of uh, evidence that there was a 360-day year prior to the days of Hezekiah and that it was changed probably at that time according to records from around the world and people's 
societies had to change their calendars to match what had become a 365 and a quarter day year. And I quoted Emmanuel Velikovsky as showing uh, evidence from around the world and every culture, essentially, who changed the calendar at that time. So uh, we see that. We see other evidence, the 360-degree circle and various things. Plus the internal evidence in the Bible in Genesis 1.14 where God set the heavenly bodies in a, to perform in certain sequence and he said it was good. And if it was good, it was easy to follow, it was easy to understand, it was easy to keep track of time. And it is in the context of that that he said that he made these heavenly bodies and set them there as signs for us to follow in order to know when days and months and seasons, including years, of course, would occur. Let me read that once again, Genesis 1.14. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs. So he states emphatically that what he set up there and the sequence in which they would revolve would be signs for us so that we would know and be able to keep track of time properly. So it is in the heavens that God set everything necessary for us to keep track of time. Nothing on the earth, but everything, the calendar itself, is in the heavens. Those signs are up there. Well, I guess really all we have to do is learn how to read the signs, right? If you read the signs properly, then you'll be able to do what the signs are telling you to do. Again, on the highway, you have signs that give you information as you travel about how far it is to a destination or which turns you need to make to get there and all kinds of information that make it possible for you to arrive where you need to be. So that's what a sign is for, is to impart information, to give you the knowledge you need to arrive where you need to arrive. And if we want to keep track of time properly and be able to keep God's holy days when He wants them kept, then we have to be able to follow the heavenly signs. We have to look up, we have to understand what is happening up there. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And he made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and he made the stars also, and uh, they were to look over us and to give us information. So Genesis 1.14 is a very, very key chapter, or a very key verse for us in understanding what God intends with the calendar. As in all subjects, we need to go back to God's original intent. I cited marriage and divorce and various other things, polygamy. Uh, the, what did God cre create originally? Man departed from those things, and sometimes because of the hardness of hearts, God permitted it, and Moses even allowed it. But Christ said from the beginning, it was not so there in Matthew 19. So he told us right there 
that when you approach a subject, what you need to do is go back to Genesis and try to discern God's original intent. So for us today, with all the calendar confusion that is out there, the first thing we have to do is go back to Genesis and do our best to understand what God was actually saying and then observe it, understand it, and how it works in the heavens and then simply follow the signs to come up with the right dates that God would intend. All right, so what are these signs? Well, it tells us very clearly there that they are heavenly bodies, and therefore what they do, how they act, is what we use to determine the passage of time and certain dates. And he specifies that they are there to tell us days, They're there to tell us moeds is the Hebrew word, or months, basically. But to know the moeds or the holy days, you indeed have to know months. So you can make a technical argument about whether that's really referring to months or referring to holy days. But in in the summation, it doesn't really matter. Because to know those holy days, you have to know when the first month is the seventh month, and so on, in order to have them properly delineated. So, those signs are there to tell us days, they're there to tell us months, and they're there to tell us seasons, and if we know the seasons, we will automatically know the years, the way it was originally set up. So, how did this work? We know that a day is from sunset to sunset. I've seen arguments recently that people use strange connections in the Bible to try to show it's from sunrise to sunrise, but that won't work. Uh, There are too many scriptures. I think Leviticus 23 shows that you're to keep atonement from the time the sun goes down until the sun sun goes down again. So he made the day to begin at sundown. That is apart from this, but... It's part of it in a sense, because it says you'll know days and nights. And uh, the sundown is what designates night. That's your signal that a new day begins, is when that sun sets. Got a new day. About 24 hours later, you'll have another new day. It varies two or three or four minutes per day in times of sunset and sunrise. But that's apart from the fact that that signals the end of one day and the beginning of another. Now, it's clearly shown through Scripture that the new moon designates months. Every time the the moon becomes new, and we'll discuss what the new moon is, uh, you have a new month. So the signs in the heavens, the sun, the day, and the moon, then, as it moves around the earth, will show you a new month. Then the seasons are shown by the equinoxes and the solstices. In the spring, you have a time, which we call the equinox, when days and nights are equal, hence the term equi, or equinox. And that is a change of season. Then you have the summer, summer solstice, 
in June, about 20th or 21st, whenever it is, which gives you the longest day and the shortest night of the year. Then again in the fall, you have another equinox when day and night become equal in time. And then the winter solstice when you have the shortest day and the longest night of the year. Now, those are not now precisely 90-day seasons. Now, the way it originally worked, and let's review this again so we understand, because it's critical to know how these signs work. If you understand how they work, then it's easier to follow them. I can just tell you that these are there, but if you don't know how they operate, then you can still get confused. After the creation, and God set those heavenly bodies there and set them for signs, there was a precise 360-day year. The moon became uh, new every 30 days at exactly the same time. It was a perfect orbit around the earth, 30 exact days. You had 12 of those in a year, and that was 360 days. Now, here is what happened so that you could easily keep track of it. And when everything was perfect, it was really easy to see. You didn't really need a calendar. You didn't really need to calculate anything. All you had to do was observe what happened. And you didn't even have to observe that. If it was cloudy, all you had to do was be able to count to 30. And you knew that it would occur. So the sun, moon, and earth would come into conjunction, that is, alignment, every 30 days. And that would create an eclipse because they were on the same plane. They were in a straight line. Now, on the equator, it would be a total eclipse. And the further north or south you went from there you would have a lesser eclipse, a percentage less, depending on how far north or south you went, but it was still an eclipse that was visible. This would happen every 30 days at sunset. It would become obvious. You could see it. Now, that was good. That was easy. That was perfect. You had a day that began at sunset, you had a month every 30 days, and you had 12 months every 360 years, or 360 days, and you also had a seasonal change every 90 days precisely. The seasonal change came right on the same time as the new month. In other words, in the spring, for the spring equinox, it would occur on the... New moon, so you'd have sunset, new moon, equinox, all at the same time, precise moment. <clears throat> no question. 30, 60, 90 days later, you would have a change to summer. 90 days later, a change to fall. 90 days later, a change to winter. And so on, back to spring. So four equal seasons, like an orange divided into four equal pieces. <clears throat> it's very, very simple. You didn't need God to whisper a calendar in Moses' ear. The calendar was in the heavens, and it was so easy to read, it required nothing. Didn't, 
No visual observance had to be. Uh, no waiting and wondering when the new moon would be. No calculation involved. It just occurred. You could be in a dark hole in the ground as long as you could know when days came and went and you could count 30 of them, you knew there'd be a new moon. Just that simple. So that's how it worked. Now let me see here. Now I want to save that for a little later. Now a conjunction is a lining up. When things reach conjunction, they line up. Uh, you could say you had your ducks all in a row. Everything was in a row. It wasn't disjointed. Now today, once we went to the 365 and a quarter day year, they don't line up that way anymore. They're not on the same plane, and it takes the earth about five and a quarter extra days to go around the sun, and the moon itself is somewhere between 29 and 30 days, and it can vary in how many days and hours it takes. So you don't know when the new moon will occur. There is a way to know. But back then, understand what the signs were. The signs were that since they were on the same plane, you went with when they lined up. When there was a conjunction, a lining up, everything all in a row. Now that's critical to understand before we begin to discuss what we have to do today to get as close to that as possible. Then it was precise, it was exact, it always happened the exact same way, but it was always the ex exact lining up of those heavenly bodies that gave you the signs and the signals to know when the day was over, when the month was over, and when the season and the new year began. Keep that in mind. It was the lining up. It wasn't when they were offset before or after. It was the lining up. And that's what created the eclipse, was the lining up. That is a sign. When things line up, it's a sign. If they're offset, that's not a sign. Either way. It's either before or after. That's critical to understand. All right, let's see. I've already covered some of this. Uh, now, note again, which I, what I mentioned before, is that a, the first crescent is not mentioned in the Bible. Didn't need to be. In biblical times heretofore, when the heavens were still in good order, um, you didn't need the first crescent. You had the eclipse at sunset after 30 days. That's all you needed. So they weren't using the first crescent back then. It's not mentioned in the Bible anywhere. The Bible also, again, does not mention the conjunction per se. Doesn't. But by example, it shows that the conjunction was the key. When earth, sun, and moon lined up, and it gave you perfect uh, understanding of time. 
Nothing to calculate. It happened. Everything was lined up every 30 days. Everything was lined up every 90 days, both the month and the season change. So it was perfect in that sense. So you didn't need a first crescent because that's after the fact. What you had was the conjunction, which is the fact. That was the moment that you used because it happened every 30 days like, shall I say, clockwork. Because it is a clock in the heavens. Okay, then, the key is, what is the new moon? There is a lot of confusion about that. I think I've just now explained it once again, but let's look at it a little more. When is the new moon? Some people say that it's when it starts getting dark before the actual conjunction of the sun, moon, and earth. Some say it's after it comes out from behind and is visible as a first crescent to the naked eye. Others use the actual moment of conjunction. So there are various theories as to what we should use. Now, the Jews did historically use the first crescent for a time. Why? Because the heavens had changed, and they did not have the capability mathematically at the time to know exactly when the conjunction occurred, so they had to rely upon visual evidence that it indeed had occurred. Now, that created problems because they didn't know ahead of time when it would be, especially if it was after 29 days, some hours, because if it didn't show up, then it was a day later, and they knew that there was a certain limit in time and when it had already occurred. So they had to try to declare, and they'd send people out to look, and when they see the first crescent, then they would declare a new month beginning. But it was actually after the fact and late, but at that time, that's the best they could do. I won't fault them on it. It's the best they could do. If I did not have tables right now that will tell me when the new moon actually occurs, the conjunction, I would probably have to go to First Crescent to get as close as I could to what God set up there. You know, there are times when the sign is obscured. Have you driven in heavy rain or snow and the signs along the highway were hard to read because of the weather? or because you left your glasses at home, or whatever reason, when it's hard to read the signs, you can get lost. And if you don't have the capacity to follow the signs as they originally were created, then you have to make do and get as close to that as you possibly can. It's like any of God's laws... We, God understands His law and His way and His purposes perfectly. As Paul said, we look through a glass darkly. We see certain things. Other things are harder to understand. Even things Paul wrote, Peter said, were hard to understand. So we don't see everything as clearly as God does. So, to even follow his laws and his way of life is somewhat difficult because not only do we have a nature that wants us to go contrary to them, but we also have difficulty 
comprehending their full meaning. And it requires a lifetime of study of God's Word and a meditation on it to get a clearer and clearer picture of what God desires of us. It isn't all absolutely crystal clear. So the calendar used to be crystal clear, then it became difficult. So what do we do? In life, we get as close to God's will and way as we possibly can based on our understanding. Then if we come to understand something better, we modify our understanding and our actions to reflect a better understanding of his way. And so it is with the calendar. The Jews did the best they could in those days when they were using the first crescent. They don't anymore, by the way. Not at all. But they did for a while because it was the best information they had. Now, when they understood how to mathematically calculate when the conjunction occurred, they moved to that because it was an upgrade in what they had been doing. And the Hebrew calculated calendar now is calculated mathematically ahead of time based on the actual conjunction every month of the moon. Not on First Crescent at all. I don't know that everybody has understood that, but that's what they use now. It's a mathematical calculation. Because they recognize that the actual conjunction itself is the key. They understand that. The fact that they do all kinds of things not to follow what they see up there is a different matter. I've got an article here, which I took from Wikipedia. Now, here is what modern-day astronomers believe and go by. This is in addition to what I've already explained about what the heavens themselves tell you about when things are aligned, in conjunction, in a row. In astronomy, new moon is the first phase of the moon when it orbits as seen from the earth, the moment, get that, the moment when the moon and the sun have the same elliptical, elliptical longitude. The moon is not visible at this time except when it is seen in silhouette during a solar eclipse when it is illuminated by earthshine. So they say it is the moment of the lineup or the conjunction that is when the new moon begins. The Jews recognize that. Astronomers recognize that. And when you understand history in the 360-day year, you understand that. So they're backing up what God shows us in Scripture. Now, they recognize that things are not in sequence. Now, here's an interesting thought along these lines as well. It says, To the unaided eye, its actual phase is a very thin crescent. In other words, once the conjunction has occurred, there has to be a crescent that slowly begins to appear, but he's going to explain that you can't see that right away with the unaided eye. 
It's happening, but you can't see it yet. It may be a day or two later before you can actually see it, as it gets big enough. So it's a very thin crescent, because the moon does not pass directly in front of the sun, except during a solar eclipse. On July 8, 2013, this is only two years ago now, French astrophotographer Thierry Legault, or however you'd say it in French, Legault in English, successfully photographed the new moon, although the crescent itself was not visible to the unaided eye. So he had equipment so that he could look at it and see that it went completely behind and you could not see the moon at all. But as soon as it disappears, then, very quickly, almost immediately, it reappears. And he captured that on a photograph. So it is an exact moment in time, and it doesn't stop right there, you know. They keep moving. They line up, and they keep moving. So even as it disappears, it then reappears almost immediately. And it wasn't until 2013 that this was actually able to be photographed. The actual alignment, and just before the new crescent appeared. Not visible to the unaided eye. That's why you have to wait long until long after the conjunction before the first crescent is big enough for you to see. But by then, the conjunction is long gone, the actual lining up. Now, someone asked me the other day why it is <clears throat> that with the mathematical calculations we have, and they're very complicated formulas, by the way, uh, that some of the astronomical tables differ a bit from each other. Uh, it has been a progression of being able to calculate mathematically when the actual conjunction will occur over a period of time. Uh, the Jews had learned uh, a fairly good understanding of that when they came out with the Hebrew calculated calendar, when they went from essentially looking at the first crescent to understanding when the actual alignment occurred. And over time, math improved, or the understanding of it improved. And we have been using a t table written by Gene Mias, who is a leading authority on the math that is needed in order to understand when the conjunction will occur. Because they take a conjunction from the past, pick a year, different ones have pictured, picked different ones, and they are able to calculate with a very difficult uh, formula when the next one will occur and the next one and the next one because it can be math mathematically determined years and years ahead of time and it changes every month. So it's amazing that they are able to know math that well. I can divide, subtract, and multiply a little but that's way beyond my comprehension. But they do have the capacity to do that. I looked at one article, and it showed a space launch, and it showed the, the, new, the moon with a crescent sitting just above the rocket. 
and it had the ears or the horns of the crescent sticking almost straight up to the naked eye. They were almost, it looked straight up. So they had, he took that picture just before the launch of the moon behind the rocket. And using mathematical formulas, he was able to determine, without knowing, the day, the time of day, and the moment, and how high the moon was over the earth, how high up in the horizon, and how much tilt it had. It had just a very small percentage of tilt. Through math, he could tell you the time and the day that that picture was taken. That's beyond you and me, unless there's a wizard here that I don't know of. A mathematical wizard, not the other kind. So they do have these. Now, Gene Meus was the leading authority for some time, and that's the book that I have that we've been uh, picking up the time of the, the conjunction. But there was another uh, mathematician, a Frenchman, named Chapront, or however you would say it, and uh, he came up with a more accurate formula of exactly, in the future, when they would occur. It's a matter of refinement. In other words, Gene Meus, in his calculations for years ahead, was very, very close, you know, within seconds or whatever. Uh, but they came up with a formula that is actually even more accurate now. And I, don't, I have not had a chance to check whether the uh, naval uh, tables are correct uh, using the new Chapron system or what they use, but the Naval Observatory uh, will be a little bit different from Gene Meus. Not enough that it would make any difference except in a critical moment right at the equinox or something, uh, then it might make a difference. But I want to look into that and, and get the tables from Chapron, and uh, if they're more accurate, then we can use that instead of Gene Meus. So, as they get better with the math, then they can make it more precise. That just makes sense. The Jews couldn't be precise at all when they had no math and uh, had to use first crescent visibility. And then when they learned that they could, through math, know just about when the conjunction would be, they went to that. So they understood that the actual conjunction was when the new moon occurs. That we need to understand. Now, he explains this mathematical formula, and I won't even bore you with that or try to understand it myself. Uh, it, it really doesn't matter in that sense. Now, here's a comment in the same article about the Jewish calendar. This is Wikipedia as of today. Uh, about the Jewish calendar, it says the new moon signifies the start of every Jewish month, is considered and is considered an important date and even minor holy day, holiday in the Hebrew calendar. The modern form of the calendar is a rule-based lunisolar calendar, akin to the Chinese calendar, measuring months defined in lunar cycles as well as years measured in solar cycles, and distinct from the purely lunar Islamic calendar, and so on. 
Then he says, according to Jewish tradition. Here's Jewish tradition. The Jewish calendar is calculated based on mathematical rules handed down from God to Moses at the moment the command was given to make sure that Passover always falls in the springtime. That's Jewish tradition. But if in Moses' day you still had a good calendar in the heavens that had no errors in it, and everything was in perfect alignment, Moses didn't need to know any calculation. He just needed to be able to count to 30. Or if he couldn't count to 30, simply watch until 30 days had elapsed and it would happen. Now he goes on to say, it probably wasn't whispered to Moses, more likely this fixed lunisolar calendar was introduced by Hillel II. That was in the 4th century A.D., three, around 325, somewhere right in there. This calculation makes use of a mean lunation length used by Ptolemy and handed down from Babylonians, which is still very accurate. So the Jews borrowed math and began to use a calculated calendar to determine when the actual conjunction was. And they were very close. But now through Mias, we have an upgrade, and now through uh, Charpent, or whatever his name was, we also have an upgrade from that. And the difference over time, it says, is like five millionths of a day, and adds up to only about four hours since Babylonian times that there's been anything changed. The Jews, as I've said before, were worried about the cycle every 217 and 237 years or whatever, when uh, it would, the calendar would drift another day away from the spring equinox. But if it's only uh, four hours since Babylonian times, Christ is going to return a lot quicker than that. So I don't think we have to worry too much about it drifting out of season. Not only that, if we attach the calendar to the uh, spring equinox, which it always was from the very beginning, uh, we're not going to drift anyway. It will keep it in the correct season. Okay, I wanted to let you know that astronomy and the Jews use the actual conjunction. And that is what the Bible shows us occurred when we had the 360-day year. All right, now let's understand in terms that we can understand how this works. As I said, God shows clearly that the day ends at sunset. He shows clearly the new moon is the conjunction, and always was, when everything was lined up perfectly, uh, of the moon, sun, and earth, which created a new month. And then every 90 days, precisely, again at the same lineup of the month, happened on the, at the first of the month, every season started. So that alignment created days, months, seasons, and every fourth season at the equinox in the spring, you also had a new year. Because you had the equinox or season change to new year, you had the new moon same time at sundown as the second signal that you could have a new month. So you had a new season, a new month, 
And at sunset, when you could see the eclipse, you had a new day. So you had the first day of the new season, first day of the new month, first day of the new year. It was that simple. Now, I've used a watch or a clock as an example to help us understand how simple it actually is. And what goes on up there is just like a watch. The shortest period of time the heavens denote is the day. Okay? Now, if you had a sundial, you could also tell what hour of the day it was. But in terms of keeping track of calendar, the day is the shortest form that you need. So sunset gives you that automatically. It's like the second hand on a watch. Shortest period of time on a watch is the second hand. Then the new moon is like uh, the hour hand. Okay? It's the second denomination you need to know to follow the heavens. Then the hour hand is like the new year. Okay? So days, months, and years. Also seasons are in there. They were there on the 360-degree calendar. So Now, if I look at my watch, and I want to know when 12 o'clock is today, and since I'm giving a sermon, maybe I should use 2 o'clock, so you'll know I'm getting near the end of this. But if I want to know, let's say for simplicity, when noon, 12 o'clock is, I wait till the second hand gets to 12, right? And I can say it's noon. Wrong. All right, so I wait for the hour hand to go to 12. Then I can say it's noon, right? Hour hand's on 12. Wrong. The hour hand is the first signal that it's 12 o'clock. But I can't say it's 12 o'clock just because the hour hand is almost on 12. I have to wait for the minute, the minute hand to come around. So now when the minute hand reaches 12, I can say it's 12 o'clock because the hour hand and the minute hand are there, right? Wrong again. It's not 12 o'clock yet. Now I've got to wait for the second hand. Now I have the hour hand, the minute hand, and now the second hand all lined up at 12. Now I can say it's 12 o'clock because all three signals have occurred. And they always occur in order. I can't take the face off a clock and move that second hand around or move that minute hand around willy-nilly and put it ahead of the hour hand. I can't do that because it would be dishonest and untrue and wouldn't work. It would just confuse the clock immeasurably. Those three signals were built into the watch just like they're built into the heavens. The watch is basically just telling you the same thing within a day that the heavens are telling you within a day, a month, and a year. Same signals. They equate hour hand to new moon, uh, minute hand to... Let's start at the beginning. Sunset to the end of the day, beginning of a new day. New moon is a new month. And then the equinox determines season and new year. 
along with the other signals. Now here's the problem we have. And that is that when it went to 365 and a quarter days, probably in the days of Hezekiah, nothing lined up exactly and precisely and at the same time anymore. 365 and a quarter isn't divisible by anything. The new moon doesn't occur every 30 days. It occurs some, somewhere between 29 and 30 days. Hours and minutes different. It isn't precise at all. Sundown still comes to you wherever you are, and it's the only thing that's still fairly clear. But the actual movement up there of the sun and the moon and the earth has changed. Now, somebody tells you they today have the perfect godly calendar. I'll tell you this, they don't have a clue. They don't know what they're talking about. There are those who think they've got it figured out so that they have the perfect calendar. Wrong. Cannot be. Impossible. Because the heavens are themselves are no longer perfect, and therefore there is no perfect calendar. Cannot be. Now we saw before that the prophecies tell us that the earth, moon, and and the earth, moon, and sun are going to go back into the proper plane, the same plane, and will go back to a 360-day year, at least by the first day that the Great Tribulation begins, that the two witnesses begin their message. Because that period of time is delineated three different ways, even in the book of Revelation, apart from Daniel, where it's also mentioned. That period of time that they preach is 1,260 days, three and a half years, and 42 months. And the only way that that can possibly be fulfilled is if there's a 360-day year. So God made it good, and then I believe because of man's sin and Israel's intransigence against him, he confused it and said, you're not keeping my holy days correctly, as Isaiah 1 points out. I'm going to change it. Now you figure it out. And it's difficult. And people have come up with all kinds of theories. All different ways of doing it. It's confusing and it's divisive. Now what are you to do when you are faced with those circumstances? All you can do is get as close to God's original intent as you possibly can. Just like with marriage, he intended one man, one woman, until death in the very beginning. Then there was adultery, there was polygamy, there were all kinds of problems that occurred. And it got so bad, and man was so far from God, that God said, all right, let them have a few wives if they want. Didn't work out too well for them, and they fought and argued among themselves, and the wives got mad at each other, and their inheritance problems, all kinds of problems came as a result of polygamy. And Moses also allowed you to put away your wife for virtually any reason. Now, when the Pharisees brought that to Christ there in Matthew 19, he said, Moses, for the hardness of your hearts, said, okay, that's the way you're going to be. We'll deal with it. But he said, from the beginning, 
It was not so. So he himself gives us precedence for going back, as Herbert Armstrong so frequently did, to Genesis to see what God's original intent was. His original intent, by virtue of the way he set the heavens up, was to have the conjunction of the sun, moon, and earth tell us time. Days, months, seasons, and years. So the conjunction is the new moon. Not before, as some say, not after, as most say, but even the Jews themselves recognize that the conjunction is the correct time, even though they have other areas where they prevaricate from what the heavens actually tell them. If the heavens tell them it's on Monday, they sometimes wait till Tuesday because they like the day better and various things. They decided Pentecost ought to be on Siv on 6, no matter how many days it was after the Sabbath during Passover. So they've made changes <coughs> to what God says. And it doesn't work. So what do we do? How, how does the calendar work? We have to follow the same signals that were there originally. God's original intent. Sunset's still pretty obviously sunset. Day ends then. That one's really easy. The complication begins with the new moon. Now, God's original intent was the actual lining up. That signified the new month. Now, today, that doesn't happen every 30 days precisely. It happens parts of 29 or 30 days. Now, if God's original intent was that conjunction, then I need to get as close to that conjunction as I possibly can to be as close to God's original intent as I can get. Okay? When the moon disappears, isn't as close as you can get. But there's one group who bases their whole basic church of God on when it first disappears to the naked eye. Then you have other groups that want to say when it first appears to the naked eye after the event has already occurred. There are quite a few of those, and they're basing that partly on Jewish tradition before the Jews went to the conjunction when they mathematically could. But it's not correct. So the closest I can get... And thankfully, there are people who know math well enough that they can tell me the exact moment, certainly within a second or two, of when that new moon occurs every month. They've just improved a little on the math. The Babylonians didn't have as good a math as Jean Mias. And apparently this Charpont or Chartant or whatever it was has a little better mathematical formula now, and he can calculate it further ahead and maybe be a little more accurate even than me is. So, uh, maybe I should go to the new table because it might change it a second. But month by month, a second isn't going to make much difference. Probably not any difference because we have the sunset involved. So, if I want to know... When the new moon is, I need to find the conjunction every month. 
And that conjunction, unfortunately, under the present circumstances, can come any time, day or night. It is a moment in time when it lines up. So if I'm to follow the rules that God originally had, let's say I want to find the first day of the first month of the new year. How am I going to do that? Just like the watch again. The first signal that you can have a new year was based on the seasonal change in the spring, the vernal equinox. So, 90 days after the winter solstice, you had the spring equinox. It was a change of season, and it was a change of year. So, the first signal in the heavens is the spring equinox. That's equivalent to the hour hand on my watch. So I know I can have a new year after the equinox. Not before, but at the exact time of or after, depending on the new moon. So the first signal, like on the watch, is the hour hand. Got to have the equinox. The second signal, the next increment in time, is the new moon. Now, it could occur days or weeks after the equinox because of the 365 and a quarter in the uneven months. But I still got to follow the signals as close as I can. So I wait for the equinox, hour hand. I wait for the new moon, minute hand. Then I wait for sundown, second hand, or new day. So to determine the first day of the first month of the new year, you have to find the equinox, which signals a possibility of season change, or new year, a new moon, which signals a month change to the first month, then sundown, which gives you the first day, first whole day. So those three signals are what are given in the heavens. They were what were originally given, and they were always precise and perfectly in alignment. Now, they are the same signals. They're still up there. They're still going round and round, but they're not precise like they were. Now they happen at different times, but the signals or the signs have not changed. So all we can do is get as close as we possibly can to each of those signals and then determine days, months, seasons, and years from them. It's inexact. It isn't perfect. But show me a way to get any closer using the same signs that God put there. That hasn't changed. The signs are still there. They just don't all occur at the same time. So what are we doing? We're doing the best that we can. The best that the 365 and a quarter and the intermittent timing of the new moon will allow us. Still follow the same signals. We have to wait for them. <coughs> now this year is a good year to use because we had a new moon which came very close to the spring equinox. Now it was before but only by a few hours. And some felt that, well, since it was that close, 
And actually this year, the, the new moon came before, a new moon came just before the equinox. And then the end of the day, sunset, was after the equinox. But you see what that does? That puts the signals or the signs out of order. It puts the new moon ahead of the equinox. The sunset would remain the same afterward, but it puts one signal ahead of the other signal. Now, the Jews do this regularly in that they use the new moon nearest the equinox, before or after. Now, there is a scripture, Exodus 34:22, which indicates that the fall festival has to come after the revolution of the year, that is, the seasonal change. So, Feast of Tabernacles, a feast of ingathering, it says there, has to be after the uh, equinox in the fall. It has to be a fall feast, not a summer feast. Now, doing what the Jews do, taking the new moon nearest the spring equinox, sometimes that's two weeks before the equinox. And if you take that new moon, it will cause the Feast of Tabernacles later on to be either in or partially in the summer, which is a no-no from Genesis, I mean Exodus 34:22 can't be done. However, if you always use the new moon after the spring equinox, invariably, always, the Feast of Tabernacles will always occur after the fall equinox, as Scripture says must occur. So it keeps all the signals in line, it keeps the feasts in the proper season, and everything works. But the minute you start taking the new moon signal before the year signal, you're creating trouble that causes you difficulty with the Feast of Tabernacles in the wrong season. So, just like the watch hands stay in sequence, the heavens stay in sequence. Now, if you artificially change that, the heavens don't change. You did. Okay? Now, usually, there's a new moon several days or a week or two before the spring equinox, and it doesn't create confusion because we realize we have to wait till the new moon after the equinox. This year, when it came so close, I can understand a certain amount of confusion there, <clears throat> but even if it's only by a minute or seconds, it still puts the signals in the wrong order. It's like taking your watch and moving a signal. Can't do that. Not allowed. The signals have to come in order. <clears throat> now this year, had you been using the first crescent, you wouldn't have seen it until after the equinox. But if you're using the actual new moon conjunction, it occurred before the spring equinox. It doesn't matter whether it was a minute or six or twelve hours or twelve days. It occurred before. So, what do you do? You wait almost a month, lacking a few hours, 
until the new moon after the equinox. Equinox, hour hand, new moon, uh, minute hand, sundown, second hand. It keeps it in order and keeps it simple. You can't vary from that. If you vary from that, you're going to get yourself all messed up and have the Feast of Tabernacles in the wrong season. Now, what did it do to have it that close? It created a leap year. It's that simple. People say, well, how do you figure leap years? Well, the Jews do it, what is it, seven years out of 19 years. (coughs) They artificially declare a 13th month to keep the months in order to line up with the 365 and a quarter day year. You don't have to do that. If you consistently use the new moon that comes after the equinox, whether it be two minutes or 29 days after, 30 days after, if you consistently do that, you will have either 12 or 13 new moons in the year following that equinox. This year, by a few hours, we had a 13th month because the month signal occurred before the equinox. Therefore, it was not the change to the new year, it was the change to the 13th month. So, it created a leap year. And it put the annual holy days almost a month later than had that uh, new moon occurred shortly after the equinox. So you have to follow the signs. Remember? That's what God said. I put these things up there and they rotate and they are signs to follow so that you may keep time correctly. And that's what we had to do this year. Well, the feast will be pretty late. Uh, in comparison to what it is some years, if you have a new moon a week or two after the equinox, it's about as late as it can get. I think it was 90, I think it was 96. It was about the same thing that we had this year, if I recall the date properly. But some year right back then, it was very close like it was this year. And the Jews even have had uh, some holy days much later than others, depending on which new moon they selected. You and I don't have the opportunity to select which new moon we want. We have to follow the heavens and wait for the signals to occur in their proper sequence. Now somebody says, well, yeah, but the sundown came after the equinox. Well, that's fine. That's the second hand. But it's not the minute hand. The minute hand became before the hour hand. Therefore, it was the beginning at sundown of the 13th month. And that's what we're following right now. We need no artificial declaration of a 13th month. The heavens will tell us when. So even though it's changed from a perfect 360-day, 30-month calendar, the signals are still the same, and we can still follow them in sequence the big ones, the intermediate ones, then the shortest ones. And they have to line up in order just like they did with the 360. So it requires some calculation. 
All we can do is get as close to the original as possible using the same signs, same signals, and then actually following them in sequence, whether it's by a great deal or just a little bit, the signals have to stay in line. That's the key. It was perfect alignment before. Now it's alignment, but it comes at different times, and that makes it more difficult. But like any of God's laws, as I said, we only can keep them the best we understand them. We can only lead a Christian life as best we understand all the Scriptures. And when it comes to following the heavenly clock, we can only get as close to God's original intent as we possibly can, and then pray and ask Him to very soon change it back to 360, and the confusion will clear. Because it's obvious that's what He's going to do. And I think it becomes quite obvious that that's the way it used to be. And it has only been for an interim period that it has been the way it is today. And we, and people, have dealt with it in different ways. The Jews have dealt with it in different ways. Now, we have to deal with it, and we have to get as close to the original as possible. We can do no more, because there is no perfect heavens, and there is, no, therefore, no perfect calendar. You work with what you have and get as close to God's way and as close to the heavens as you possibly can. Now, there are a lot of other things I could discuss about things that the Jews do that aren't according to that and different arguments that might come up. But that basically, in a very simple, straightforward explanation, is the way it works and what you have to follow. So I think that we have ascertained what occurs up there. Now, the Jews, for instance, just to use one example, say, well, it's got to be when the barley's ripe. No, it doesn't. They're they're using Exodus 9.31, I think it is. Uh Just before they came out of Mitzrayim, Uh, Yeah, 9.31. Well, let's start in 30. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the eternal God. And the flax and the barley was smitten, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was boiled. But the wheat and the rye were not smitten, for they were not grown up. So, the the 14th of Abib was coming up very quickly when Passover would occur. Based on the equinox, which was the new moon, and 14 sundowns, which is when they would leave Egypt. It was very clear when Abib 14th was. But God said, lest you misunderstand, there is this statement that it was at the time that the barley would normally be ripe in the spring. And he made it clear later on that when you came out of Mitzrayim, it was in the spring of the year. And this reference is here to show that that's when the barley was ripe. There is nothing here that indicates that the barley was to be used when it ripened as when a month began. 
or when the Passover came. All it does is gives you the time of year as a reference point, a generality. Of this is the time of year that it occurs during the first month, Abib or Nisan, is when it occurs. But he's already clearly told us the calendar is in the heavens, Genesis 1.14. The whole calendar is in the heavens. <clears throat> but he says, be, be it known that you don't begin the calendar in the sixth month or the seventh month, because they began the fiscal year the seventh month. But your calendar for calculating the holy days, the Moeds, begins in the springtime at the same time of year you came out of Mitzrayim. So the barley has nothing to do with the actual counting of the days and the months. The heavens do that. It just gives you clearly a time when the new moon, the equinox, the new moon, and the sunset occurred, and your new year began. That was the first month, and that's the time when barley normally ripens. So you don't artificially plant it in greenhouses and try to get it to come out based on when you think the new moon was and 14 days later. You don't do that with barley, and you don't use anything on the earth to calculate the calendar. It's all in the heavens. Those are the signs. <clears throat> Be sure you understand how they work, and then when they dictate, that is, let's say it's the seventh month, fifteenth day, beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles. That's when it is. Now, the one that Jews like to pervert the most is atonement. So, seventh month, tenth day. Okay? When you have the seventh new moon after the spring equinox and count ten days, you have atonement. Now, if that comes on a Friday, the Jews don't like that. Now, that's what the heavens told them. But they don't like that because they don't want to have a Sabbath two days in a row. So, they simply postpone it a day or two until it's on a day they like. That's not right. That's not what the heavens said. That's what they decided. Their calendar cannot be correct because it has all kinds of rules like that that don't follow what the heavens tell them to do. That's the problem with the Hebrew calendar. A lot of problems with it because they have many rules that don't fit what the heavens tell them. No. If you have the new moon conjunction and sundown, that begins one day, first day of the seventh month, Feast of Trumpets. Then you count ten days, seventh month, tenth days is atonement, and that's the day you keep it. Not a day or two later, or a day or two earlier if you wanted to. You don't have that decision to make. You do what the heavens tell you. <clears throat> Therefore, if you have in the springtime uh, a new moon that comes just before the equinox, you don't use that to begin the first month. Because the heavens said it was still hours or days prior. And you can't put one hand on a watch ahead of another hand. So all it was telling you was, this isn't the first month, this is the thirteenth month. And then you wait for the new moon after the equinox. Then you have the signals in order, and you can keep them. Puts it a little later in the year. So what? So what? It's what the heavens told you to do. It's that simple. Keep the signals in order. Read the tables properly. And you will keep the holy days as close to 
what God originally intended as you possibly can based on the movements of the heavens and what they tell you today. And pray for the day when it goes back to 360 and it's totally simple again. The simplicity in Christ and the Father was in the heavens originally and it will be in the future. In the meantime, the complexity that we have is based on the rebellion of Satan, but primarily upon the rebellion of Israel. God always made life harder when man disobeyed. Adam and Eve had a wonderful life in the garden, and as soon as they disobeyed, they got curses, and they had thorns and thistles and snakes biting and all kinds of problems because of disobedience. And when Israel would not keep God's holy days properly, as Isaiah 1 tells us, God confused the heavens at about that time, probably on Ezekiel's, uh, I mean, in, on, in Hezekiah's day, when the sundial went back 10 degrees. That seems to be the time that it happened. And we've had confusion of one degree or another ever since. So the best you can do, the best I can do, is follow what those signals tell us faithfully. Not put one ahead of another, not put one behind another, and if we don't like the day, don't postpone it. Just do what it says. It's that simple. So, I hope that clears up questions we might have had and helps us understand more clearly Genesis 1.14 and how to read it. So, uh, questions may come up again, and I certainly didn't cover every detail in here of questions that have arisen in the past. But I don't know that we need to know and have before us every argument about the calendar. Because if you know what was, what now is, and what will be, and you follow the signals, all these other questions sort of drop aside. And that's the key. So hopefully we got a little better picture now.